Christ's journey, what a blessing to, and what a privilege to be in the presence of God with you today in this place, those of you who are joining us online, in the place where you are seated or are standing with us in worship even now. And we're so grateful that none of us are beyond the reach of God's grace and God's embrace. So, last uh, time we were together, we had a personal and powerful visit from Jesus. <laughs> I had come out of a day of... Um, preparation with the men of our congregation on Saturday, and the closing word that I took away from that with me was, uh, bring it all and watch me work. And so um, that's why I'm here today, because once again, I want to bring it all <laughs> and watch him work. So I would like to invite you, whatever that means to you, to bring it all and then watch him work. Now, as soon as I say that, I realize that, you know, you can't bring it all. If you don't, if you don't trust somebody, it's hard to bring anything. So let's just, perhaps that's where we start today. We say, God, would you show yourself to be trustworthy to us and then help me take steps out of my fear into watching you work. And so maybe that's the place where you can make your connection today. But I'm so glad, especially if this is your first time ever to be with us, that you and accepted the invitation that somebody gave you, or perhaps you found us online and you said, well, or maybe you're just drop, driving by and you saw all these cars and you thought, well, hey, it's Sunday, and here you are. God knows who you are. He knows where you are. He has you in his heart. And so uh, we're going to invite him to do, could, would you just agree with me? Let's watch him work. And then whatever he invites you to bring, then that's the place to start. Now, I keep hearing a ringing up here that uh, sounds like some sort of uh, echo chamber that I'm in. Is it, is anybody else hearing that? No? You're not hearing it? Okay, well, then it must just be in my head. So now you really need to pray for me because I'm, I'm resonating up here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What can you do when your hope is leaking dry? We all have those times when it just feels like, you know, the hope that you need to lift you up is just seeping out. And, uh, and just like you got a slow leak in your helium balloon and it's ex exceeding your grasp, what do you do? This new series has an answer for us. And to welcome the hope that God for, has for us in each of the five messages that are going to be a part of this series when all you need is a miracle, um, I want us to just wrap our hearts and our, our mind's imagination and our heart's attention around this magnificent truth that Paul wrote in a letter in the first century to people like us. Would you just repeat after me? Now to him, now to him. who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus 
throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, that's a lot, right? That's a lot. Okay, but I want us to say it again, only this time we're going to stand up. Please stand up everywhere. You at home as well, stand up. Take a good breath and look on the screen, and we're going to say it out loud together. Here we are. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 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 Yeah, you could be seated. God is great, and God has glorious plans for his people now and forever, and he has been revealing those plans through his word and by his spirit throughout across human history. Theologians call that expression salvation history, specifically through the people of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the people of Israel, the line of David that brought us Messiah and then birthed the church and brought it to the world. Theologians call that salvation history. That's salvation history's timeline. And today, I'm going to invite you to get into the Bible time machine, and we're going to travel back in the salvation history timeline to a very significant transition point between two ministries of salvation history, the ministry of Elijah, the mighty prophet, and Elisha, the mighty prophet of hope, a special message of hope for you. 2 Kings chapter 2 is where we're going to pick it up, and it marks the end of an era and the beginning of a, of, a, of a new day, a new day is dawning, a new chapter. They're on the threshold of a new chapter in salvation history. In, in many ways, I feel like that's where we are, Christ's journey as well. We are closing a chapter on something called pandemic. And we are now opening a new chapter of post-pandemic Christ's journey, whatever that is going to look like, and I feel like we're, there's a fresh wind of God's Spirit that is blowing, and the, the coals are being stirred, and we're having our opportunity to take the next step, to do what Jesus is telling me to do, bring it all and watch me work. So I'd like for you to join me in that as you sense God's call to you. A new beginning for God's people, 2 Kings chapter 2, as they watch Elijah exit the scene and a new day dawn in the ministry of prophet Elisha. Elisha. Now, wh why does that matter to you? Because if you have ever felt like your hope is leaking dry, I'm going to tell you there's something here for you. Ask the Lord, show me. If you know what it feels like for others not to give you a break then there is something here for you. If you've ever felt like you're just invisible, like people see right through you, that nobody sees you or your gifts or your potentials or the difference that you could make, there's something here for you. If you've had occasion to lose hope, there's something here for you. If you've ever felt like no one believes in you, not even your mentor, not even your coach, well, there's something in this story for you. If you've ever felt like the chaos and the corruption that has been unleashed in the world is sucking all the breathable air right out of the room, 
there's something here for you. Jesus, would you show us so that we could bring it to you and then watch you work? The times Elisha's living in, they're times of uncertainty, they're times of economic injustice, they're times of political corruption, of moral compromise, of spiritual drought. It's been a long time since they've had some nice spiritual rainfall. It's a, the nation is dry. It's been suffering a deficit of spiritual moisture. You ever felt like that? You're going through the motions, but there's no, no living water is flowing. And now it looks like it's going to get worse because the rainmaker, Elijah, is being taken away. When we enter the story in 2 Kings 2, this is the topic of conversation. It's buzzing on the street. Wherever you go, people are asking this of Elisha. They, they said, did you know the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? The great Elijah, the conqueror of the uh, false prophets of Baal at, on the showdown at Mount Carmel, he's leaving this life. People are all talking about it. God had used Elijah, that mighty Elijah, to deal with the wickedness of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and also to call fire from God down on the altar at Mount Carmel, you know? And then he took them all out and then released the rain that would wash and cleanse the land after the slaughter of the false prophets. But now it's becoming apparent that the time is nigh that the mighty prophet is going to exit this life. People are concerned. <laughs> Their hope is leaking dry. The balloon is sagging. And so as 2 Kings 2 opens, Elijah and his young apprentice, Elisha, are walking from Gilgal on the, the trail, and then God tells Elijah, I want you to go to Bethel. And so then they go to Bethel, and then from there to travel on to Jericho, and then to Jordan, and, uh, and finally, each time, Each time the Lord speaks to Elijah, he tells Elisha, you stay here while I go because God is calling me. And Elijah says, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I'm not leaving you. Where you go, I'm going. So he goes with Elijah. And like Elijah says, it's like Elijah saying, this is my journey. You gotta, you gotta choose your own. And you know what Elisha's saying back? Well, then I choose to walk with you <laughs> as you walk with God. That's where I'm going. So what's the lesson? Okay, here it is, maybe for you. Walk with God for yourself. And as you do, learn how to do it from somebody who's already doing it. You have somebody like that in your life? Let's back up a little bit. Do you have an obedient walk with God? That's the first question. Well, how do you have an obedient walk with God? You got to be sensitive to his voice. Do you, are you sensitive to the voice of God? How do you learn how to do that? Well, that's, that's why we need a mentor in our life is to help us understand how do you walk with God? How's it done? If somebody else, here's another way of looking at it. Let's twist it around. If somebody else were to be modeling after you right now, then where would your life be taking them?
Elijah got his hope from following God's call. Elisha got his hope from following Elijah as he followed God's call as his mentor. So what's the lesson? Hope comes from following God's call as people who believe. You need new hope in your life today? The world seemed like a mess. Your problem's eating you up. Something going on inside. Do you have a mentor in your life? Hope, if you need fresh hope, here's where you can find it. It comes from following God's call as people who believe. And that's why we gather here. That's one of the reasons we look forward to being together as Christ Journey's people. But there's a, there's an interesting backstory here. When these, first, when these two first connected, Elisha was a rich kid. And Elijah was uh, a loner that seemed to come out of the wilderness. Kind of the odd couple, you know. And uh, Elijah kind of wonders if this young guy has what it takes to really be a spiritual leader. And I think we see this in the story. You know, he's like, (laughs) or is he too soft? Is he too spoiled? Is he too affluent? Is his stuff, his stuff, does it have too much power over him? I don't know if he's got what it takes to walk with me and follow God's call. So when they first get together, 1 Kings chapter 19, it says Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you, only rich people had ox. Everybody else has maybe one goat, a few sheep. But not only does he have oxen, he's got how many? 12 yoke. How many is that? 24 mammoth monster beasts that he's plowing behind. He's a rich kid. He's got, it's like, man, his daddy has John Deere tractor, Massey Ferguson, all the powerhouses, and there's a Dodge Ram pickup in the mix, you know, and it's like he's plowing. Where is he plowing from behind all of these? It says he's in the easiest spot. It's after they do all the hard work of turning the soil, then then here comes Elisha right behind to do his work. And Elijah sees this rich kid, has such an easy way, and he wonders, has he got? But it says, the scripture tells us that he puts his cloak over him. Cloak's most important piece of clothing that they could have had at the time and it says he puts it over him it's like a symbol of God's hand tapping him out for training and service and leadership you can imagine this this is like Apollo Creed giving Rocky Balboa his stars and stripes trunks that's what's emotionally happening here and uh, what does Elisha do I mean first thing he does you know what he says the first thought he has isn't about where he's going he says oh I gotta I gotta go home Let me go kiss my father. Let me kiss my mother goodbye. Then, then I'll come with you. And what's the old prophet say? Go back then, okay? Go back. And I wonder if it's under his breath. He said, what have I done to you? You know, I'm not sure you've got what it takes to carry my mantle. I don't know if you have any clue what it takes to be a spiritual leader. He says, I'm wondering, I'm wondering. If Elijah's wondering, are you a leader or are you a mama's boy? You realize what just happened to you? 
and you got to go kiss your daddy, you got to go get some permission from your daddy before you follow God's call on your life? I, go back. What have I done to you? And I'm wondering if Elijah thinks, maybe I've seen the last of him. But oh my, verse 21, a few times later, says Elisha left him. He went back and then he took his 24 oxen and he slaughtered them. And then he burns the wood of his plow equipment as a fire over which he could barbecue all that fine meat. And then he gave to the people the meat from those oxen. I'm thinking maybe the servants in that wealthy house that his daddy had. It was Elisha's way of saying, hey, I'm going to bring it all, and I'm ready to watch you work, Lord. It was his way of saying, I'm all in. I got to go back so I can take care of some business. And, and, and then, you know, we're not told how his daddy felt about him burning all those uh, oxen of his. But you know what he was really saying? He was kissing his lifestyle goodbye and putting it all on the line to follow God's call. Maybe you've heard the story that when Cortez landed in the New World, they say he burned his boats in the harbor. What did that mean? There's no turning back. There's no turning back. I'm all in to follow forward. Second lesson, you need some hope today? Maybe this one's for you. Hope comes as we go all in to follow God's call. Foresight. And then that brings us to, how, well, where would we follow God's call? Okay, that brings us to where we are. Foresights. It says Elijah and Elisha were following God's call. Where did they go? It says Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, Jordan. You're going to love this. Each of these sites have deep, sacred meaning and power in the salvation history story. The story of God's people through time. Gilgal was a story that made sense in Joshua 5. After 40 years of Israel's wandering and finally coming to the threshold of the promised land, all those, a lot of unbelieving parents' generations have died off, and now the next generation has risen up, and all those little boys have never been circumcised. So you know what happens in Gilgal? Uh-huh. It's a day of consecration. It's a day of remembering the covenant and going all in to say, we are God's people first and foremost, and before we receive his promise, we want, to we want to declare that we're his family. And so the circumcision of Gilgal was them saying an act of consecration in worship by which they confirmed that they are people of the covenant. And then Bethel. Bethel's the place where Jacob experiences that stairway to heaven from God. You know, long before Led Zeppelin ever wrote about one, this, this was in the Bible. Jacob was there. It's like he'd been a fugitive on the run. He, was, he had deceived his brother. He had tricked his father to the point that his mother said, you can't stay here. And he's out of the house now. And he's out in the desert. Why? Because of his own manipulations and because of his own mistakes. And at Bethel... God stirs his heart with this vision that shows him this stairway that essentially confirms his call to this twisted, manipulated, 
kid who's out of fellowship with his family, but God says, I have something that I'm going to keep my promises to you as a son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is that Jacob right here. And Jacob says yes to God's call. God's call has not gone away. He's issued it to Jacob now in the mess he's in, and Jacob says yes to receive his promise. Then Jericho. Jericho is the site of first victory entering the promised land. Joshua chapter 6. The fortified city of Jericho has tall walls, and they are way thick, and, and those people that have just come over thinking about how are we going to conquer this land, and God tells them, well, here's how. You're just going to march around the city. You're going to blow those horns. Everybody's going to shout. The walls are going to come tumbling down. Remember that story? This is that story. Jericho tell, teaches us about a receiving the promised gifts of God because you are overcoming the world by your faith, faith that overcomes the world. This is a conquering memory. God's people are conquerors by faith. Four sites, four scenes of consecration, of calling, and of conquering as God does his work through time. And, and they all bring him to this next one, Jordan, the crossing over by God's presence and God's power. That's how they got into the promised land to begin with. God's presence parted the water and the people went through. And now Elijah, following the crossing of the Jordan, would make his exit from this life and experience his divine escort into God's presence. I'm, I'm thinking these four sites were no victory lap for a tired, retired prophet before he died. This was a sacred celebration of the memory of God's work in the world and how privileged we are to get to be a part of it, to find our place in it and find our place in God's plan. If you're needing some hope today, that's a third place to look. Hope comes as you find your place in God's plan. Do you know? If somebody sat down and said, what's your place in God's plan? Would you know? There may be some hope there waiting for you to be unwrapped today. And speaking of Elisha, here's where he makes the most radical request of his entire life. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, Elijah asks this. Elijah says, what can I do for you before I'm taken out? And Elisha, right like that, says, verse 9, he says, um, he says let me inherit a double, a double portion of your spirit. What? What? Wait? You know, who do you, what do you think you're, you know, it's like what Elisha has just said is, okay, every expression of the power of God in your life, I want that in mind times two. Double portion, please. And Elijah says, you've asked a difficult thing. And yet, if you see me when I'm taken from you, then it will be yours. Otherwise, no. The story says they're walking, they're talking, and suddenly, oh my goodness, it says a chariot of fire and horses of fire appear and they separate the two of them. You can almost hear the hoofbeats, right? And Elijah went up into heaven in a whirlwind of flame like a tornado, a flaming tornado, and Elijah, Elisha sees this and cries out, my father, my father, the horses and chariots of Israel 
and Elisha saw him no more. Next thing you know, Elisha sees that this cloak had fallen from Elijah's chariot. He goes over, he picks it up, and strikes the water with this question, where now is the God of Elijah? And the water divided to the right and to the left. The message is the spirit of Elijah is now resting upon Elisha. How did it happen? How did that powerful hope find its way forward? Elisha succeeded in following his master's direction. That's right. That was the story, right? If you see me when I'm taken out, then it will be yours. I mean, when your miracle transport arrives to, the, to take me out, how does Elisha respond? My father. My father. His eyes are on the master first. And then what does he say? Wow, look at those cool chariots and horses. I got to get me some of those. You know, where do you find a ride like that? Man, I want that kind of power. Vroom, vroom, vroom. No. He said, my father. What did he do? He just kept his eyes on the master. Not the miracle. Hope comes from there. You're looking for hope today? Don't ask God for a miracle. Put your eyes on the master. The miracle will find you, is the message of the story. Hope comes when our eyes are on the master, not the miracle. Now, with that in mind, I want to tell you what the Lord's been telling me. It's been a new season in my life for a while. And I've been in Kings for months and months, spending time with the Lord in these passages. And in this new season of new beginnings, I am sensing that we are on the threshold of a transition where, where we are right now, post-pandemic, what is Christ's journey future? How do we walk with God to get there? How do we get that hope to where we are? And here's what the Lord told me. I already told you this. Last Saturday after coming out of time together all day with our men, I sensed, bring it all to me and watch me work. What does that mean? Well, look at this story. It says, don't be afraid to ask big. Don't be afraid to imagine big. Don't be afraid to ask for a double portion, please. I'd like more. What I would like, I want to say, okay, looking back, that was pretty good. But looking forward, could we have twice that? Could you just pour on some more, Lord? Let's have some double portion blessing here. Let's ask big. Our, our world needs this right now. Our world needs it. Our times demand it. Our loved ones got to have it. The generations to come are facing the challenge of a very difficult future, and they need us to imagine large enough that the blessings that God has brought in the past would just extend times due into the future when it comes to people like us who could say, Lord, what do you want us to ask? How do we get there from here? You know, how do we get to a new day of divine intervention, of miracle breakthrough, of new beginnings in a world of spiritual decline, of moral decay, and of political division? How do we, is it possible to get a double portion of God's spirit in the middle of that? Absolutely. That's the story. That's what we're supposed to be paying attention to. He said, Bill, look at this. Look at this. In your life, in your nation, in your marriage, in your family, could that be for all of my, yes. What does God want for you? He said, immeasurably more than what? Then all we ask or imagine. So I got to ask you this. What are you asking? Because if that's the threshold, God is saying, whatever they're asking, then I'll give more. Okay, you'll move your, you want to notch up your asking a little bit? 
Whatever you're imagining, oh, the world is falling apart, the sky is, you know. No, what are you imagining? Because whatever you imagine, God will say, oh, that's what you're imagining? Then I'll give you more. Oh, that's what you're imagining? Then I'll give you more. Is this a double portion moment? That's what I'm asking. You've got to make your own decision. I'm just telling you, if the Lord said to Elijah, far be it from me, I'm no Elijah, but if he said to me to go say this and do this, then that's what I'm doing. And then he's saying to Elisha, I say to you, you've got to make your own journey. That's where we are right now. You've got you to listen close enough to see what the Lord is saying to you, and then listen close enough to ask yourself, where, what has my focus right now? Because the eyes have it. The eyes have it. Wherever you put your focus, that's what gets you. If your eyes, if when all you need is a miracle and you put your eyes on the miracle, you're probably not going to get it. But you look your master in the eye and you seek his face. Then he says, I'm going to be found by you. And when you find him, he's got more than enough to help meet you where you are. So what I'm wondering is it starts with time of prayer like we've been extending here, that we say, Lord, we want your spirit to breathe on us in fresh ways and send fresh fire, and we want to do it every day for 40 days. So we're having a little spiritual vitamin that we're sending out to everybody who has signed. Have you signed up for your text spiritual vitamin? 7.30 every Sunday morning, every, every day, every day. You can join the prayer process every day but you got to text back in and say, I want in. We've been distributing vision coins where we're saying our God is big enough to cover whole nations. And so some of us are carrying these coins around in our pockets, and we're asking God to bless nations, nations that are at war, nations that are in need, nations of origin, nation where we live. God is big enough for us to pray for nations. All we ask or imagine immeasurably more could it be so I'm just asking, here's what I'm doing. you got to make your own decision on this stuff. But when we open the altar and say, God is calling, then i got to say, is you calling me, Lord? Then I want to do where you're going because that's your journey. It's not my journey. It's your journey. you got to make your own decision about this. And then what will happen is that God will meet you with hope. You need some new hope today? Then don't sit there waiting for hope. We've just seen what Elisha learned about hope. Hope comes from following God's call. You take action. You take action to follow God's call with someone who believes. Hope comes as we go all in following God's call. Okay, first I'm a toe in, and then I'm like, oh, look at that cloak. I'm going to pick that up, and I'm going to put that, I'm going to, I'm all in. That's where hope comes from. Hope comes from at finding your place in God's plan. What's your place? Well, find it. Let us help. Ask Jesus, where do you want me? What do you want of me? I want to take that step. And hope comes when your eyes are on the master, not on the miracle, so that he can start setting the agenda and his kingdom comes in this world and his will is done so that we can follow him. What is God calling to you today where is he calling you to find new hope i already know i know the answer to some of that because jesus told us he's calling us to baptism many people over the last several weeks 
have raised their hands when I have come to a moment like this and said, I've opened my life to Jesus and I'm going to follow him. Pray for me, Pastor. Okay, and I have been praying and I have been praying, but you know what Jesus said comes right after, right after belief is baptism. He said, I want you to go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's the next step of baptism. Why does baptism matter? Water baptism, we do it all the way under. Why? Because it communicates the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. There's no power in the water, but there's power in the story. The story of a new beginning. Jesus went down in that water, and so my sinful self, absorption, goes down in that water, and I trust Jesus to come alive in me, and I come back and breathe again. It's a symbol of God's forgiveness and God's power coming into my life. And so Jesus wants people who have received Christ by faith and in the forgiveness of sins to now publicly say, Amen. And so today, here's what we're ready to do. The, there's water in the baptismal pond. I almost called it a pond. <laughs> the baptismal pool, what is that? It's a very small swimming pool, or it's a very large jacuzzi without bubbles. That's what's up there. And I believe it's full of warm water right now because we are anticipating Jesus calling somebody who has opened their heart and then them finding new hope by following him into the waters of baptism. So what's going to happen if, if, that, if that happens? Amen. Amen. I got to tell you something, though. You know what's better than clapping? Obeying. This, you know, you'll find hope when you follow his will. So what's going to happen if you do that? Because somebody's thinking he can't really be doing this. I didn't come in here ready for this. I'll tell you, that's okay. The Lord is. The Lord is ready. And his people are ready. So we're going to have some nice folks right up here that are going to show us the way to come. You step out from where you are, and you come down the aisle, and you go up these steps, and then you go right over here. And well, Ryan will be there to show you the way up. There'll be some very happy people on the other side of that. And when you get up to the top, there's private dressing areas where we provide dark clothing and then when you get into the water of baptism, which we believe is warm, I haven't been in it, but other people were in the 9.30 hour, and you come out of that, we got some really thirsty towels and some private dressing areas that I mentioned that, where you can celebrate with people. And in the meantime, people are just going to be sharing the joy of your obedience, and they're going to feel the wash of it on themselves. That's why it's so important that you say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And then now you do it. So we're going to take some time. We're going to sing a song. And in a moment, I'm going to have us all stand together. But in that same motion where we're going to take put action to our faith, as we stand, somebody already knows, well, he's talking to me. God's talking to me. And so when we stand up, just say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Make your way down the aisle. Come on down. We're going to greet you. We're all going to be clapping. It's going to be good. We're going to go crazy. You know, it's going to be good. But, okay, so here we go. Let's stand together. You come right on as God has spoken to your heart, stirred your soul, and you want to follow him today in baptism. Just step out now. And as they're making their way down the aisle, just give them a God bless you. Okay. Hey, buddy. Love you. 
Hey, you're thinking, amen, amen. If you were thinking, oh, I'm not going till somebody else does, okay, now it's your turn. This is the time. Amen. Step forward. Come right up these steps right here. Yeah, help them out. Help them out. Amen. God bless you. And it just took you right there. Lots of love in the room. More to come. Immeasurably more than all we ask. Would you take your step of faith? Your step of faith right now. Amen. Amen. Listen to me just for a second. Those of you who prayed with me to receive Christ over the past two months, don't just raise your hand. Follow Jesus. We help people find and follow Jesus. This is your moment to take the step of following and let us join join you in the joy today, okay? All right, let's sing, and as we sing, you come. Don't stop now. It just started. <laughs>